0: Hey, PSP3 Nation, welcome to the Peak Sports Performance Podcast, dedicated to helping our family become not only elite athletes, but also elite individuals. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Peak Sports Performance Podcast. With you today is your host, Ryan McNerland and with me is Natasha Hansen and Stacy Potter. Today we're going to talk nutrition. Natasha is the Director of Performance Nutrition at the University of Kansas, and Stacy is the Assistant Director of Performance Nutrition, and she works specifically with football. Natasha works with the Olympic Sports at KU, and I spent quite a bit of time with her at, um, at KU when I was there working in strength and conditioning. Um, her office was right next to me, and we spent a lot of quality time together working with our athletes together. And, and I saw Stacy every now and then when she came to peek your head in, but she was over at the other facility busy with football. Um, Natasha and Stacy, I'll let you guys take the stage. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, and where you guys have come from? Sure. Um, yeah,
1: originally from Minneapolis area. Uh, Completed my Bachelor of Science in Dietetics at the University of Wisconsin-Stout. And then I completed my Dietetic internship and uh, master program at Iowa State. Um, And I was able to, you know, get some sports nutrition experience under the Director of Performance Nutrition at Iowa State during that time. Um, And then went on to work at Texas A&M university for one year um it was just a one-year fellowship position got a lot of experience there um, under a well-developed program Um, and then i was hired as the director of sports nutrition at the university of southern mississippi and i was actually their first uh full-time sports dietitian so that was a you know really great experience for me, being able to develop that program from the ground up, uh, implementing new policies and procedures, um, and then I have been the Director of Performance Nutrition at the University of Kansas uh, since uh, 2018. Um, we have uh, three staff, so myself, Stacy, um, in one uh, one-year position. Um, so Stacy, you know, really works football, and then um, myself in that one-year position kind of uh, divvy up the Olympic side of things.
0: Good. Stacy.
2: Yeah, so I started my dietetics career a little bit later in life. I actually worked in finance for five years before going back to school at Central Michigan University because I am from the great state of Michigan, and I got my bachelor's of science in dietetics there, um, and then I completed my MSDI, so my master's in dietetics internship at the Ohio State University. Um, Don't, forget really cool, <laughs> Don't forget the V. Experience. Say what?
0: Don't forget the V.
2: Well, you know, I mean, it's legally part of the name. So that's what they tell us when we get there. So we have to say it. I'm just um,
0: giving you crap. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: that was a really cool and unique experience uh, because uh, it's one of the only programs where I get to do all of my rotations except for clinical. In their athletic department. So I actually spent um, a year and a half solely with football and their football dietitian. And then the other half of the year, I did my clinical and then I was with their Olympic sport. Um, after graduating there and getting my RD, I moved to Clemson, South Carolina, and I worked for Clemson on the Olympic side for one year. And then Natasha brought me to Kansas, and I've been at Kansas for almost a year and a half now, working with a football program and trying
0: to, you know, build us back up. That's great, um, and just to sum all that up for the listeners, um, between these two, they ha- have numerous certifications and uh, degrees, master's degrees, uh, years of experience at schools such as Iowa State, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Clemson. And, and now Ku, so um, the knowledge and experience that these two have are, are great, and that's that's why I had them on, and we're looking looking forward to diving deep in, into some nutrition. Hopefully, give you guys some good practical information to um, to accept into your lives. Um, so i give you guys the list of stuff that we are going to talk over before this. And the reason I started off with supplements is because it's probably the most common question that we get at the gym. What supplements can I take um, to get better at my sport, to get get bigger, to lose weight, um, to gain weight, whatever it is? Um, And what we always have to tell our kids is, well, before we tell you what supplements to take, are you taking care of the little things, this and that? Um, And then what supplements are good for you? What supplements are bad for you? So uh, we'll talk a little bit about supplements here, starting with um, good versus bad. Um, What are some supplements that you commonly prescribe to, to athletes and what are some supplements that you view are a little overrated in the world of athletic performance? All right. So
2: supplements, I feel like, is always a loaded question. Um, kind of like what you were saying with it's very individualized and you have to look at the person who's talking to you and as, as a dietitian we are very food first focused. So what I tend to do if somebody comes to me asking about a supplement is we evaluate their diet first to see if they actually need the supplement or, um, what might be going on in their diet that we can fix with food before adding anything extra in there. Um, supplements can be great if there are shortcomings in the diet. I mean, it is called a supplement because it is meant to supplement the shortcomings in your diet um, that you're not getting from the food that you might not be able to eat because of schedule or cost or whatever it may be. So I'll look at my athlete's diet from their food and then if what they're asking about is actually necessary um, or if there's something else that we can give them or tweak in their diet to kind of fix that shortcoming. Um, supplements that we use a lot in the football side is protein. Obviously, it's huge. My guys are very large individuals, so their protein needs are super high, which, I mean, realistically can be difficult to get from food. Um, especially eating kind of at the dining halls and with our class schedule, the practice schedule that they have, uh, it might be difficult for them. So we have a lot of whey protein, um, at the facility. Um, I like to, we use collagen a lot for our guys just to make sure that their joints are nice and healthy and strong, especially with all of the planting and the cutting and everything that they're doing. The last thing we want is a torn ACL. Um, And then, I mean, really maybe any individual micronutrients or vitamins or minerals that we might find that they're lacking, like iron, um, we'll supplement with them. But then just typically a multivitamin um, to give them every day. I really like multivitamins. I do think that college athletes, especially younger athletes, it is harder for them to get all of their nutrient needs just in diet, just because of their, like, dislikes. Uh, maybe pickiness that they have. So it never hurts, you know, for the most part, to give them all the vitamin. Again, I want to clarify that uh, you should assess the diet first because you can overdo it in some of those senses. Um, As far as supplements that we don't recommend, uh, because we do work in the collegiate setting, we do have rules and regulations that we have to follow. So people outside of a competitive sport might not have to take a drug test or anything, so you wouldn't worry as much about what sort of contamination there might be um, in the supplement. But in the working with the NCAA, our guys, get or all of our athletes, get drug tested, so we have to make sure that what we give them is uh, clean. And when I say clean, I just mean it's free of any sort of contamination, any product that's not listed on the label. What is important to know about supplements is that the industry is not regulated by any sort of body of some kind. So what you read on the label might not actually be what's in the product. So we rely heavily on third-party testing through a company called NSS or Informed Stores or even USP uh, to make sure that we are giving our athletes quality supplements.
0: Yeah, it's that's yeah. great. Um, yeah. Natasha, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I was a second the third-party testing you know we like Stacy said we rely really heavily on that um, just because our athletes are getting tested um, but even if you're not getting tested just to make sure because like Stacy said it's not regulated by the FDA um, just to make sure that you are you know getting out of the supplement that you're what you're looking for so the ingredients that third-party testing will just Ensure that the ingredient that is listed on the label is actually in that product. Um, and yeah, I get a lot of, you know, I have athletes come to me all the time, like, what supplement should I take? And I'm really like, Kayla, hey, sit down, let's, you know, walk through your diet first um, before we really determine if you even need any supplements. And over on the Olympic side, we have, you know, whey protein and, and ready to drink protein shakes as well. Um, but even when it comes to that, if I can, you know, encourage an athlete or if they have time to go and actually eat a meal um, before, you know, right after their workout that has protein and carbohydrates in that meal, um, I'm going to encourage them to do that. Um, they're just going to get more out of that meal in terms of nutrients versus, you know, just a protein shake.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. And I, a few of the things that I took away from what you guys just said was the fact that I mentioned earlier you guys have years of experience and and knowledge and certifications and all that stuff. And I asked you guys about supplements and the most you guys the, the craziest thing you guys mentioned was was collagen for uh, joints and stuff like that. But other than that, it was protein and vitamins. So my my point is I think so many people ask about supplements because they're looking for the secret pill that's gonna help them gain ten pounds or or lose 10 pounds when in reality it's more the the foods that you're getting within your meals along with what you're doing outside of that with recovery and sleep and stuff like that. There's no magic pill that's going to help you lose or gain 10 pounds the right way at least. So like you guys said, um, if you don't feel like you're getting enough protein, drink some protein. That's not going to kill you. And if, if you feel like you could use um, some more vitamins in your diet – because you're not eating enough vegetables, then then take a multivitamin, and you know it's not going to kill you. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up because we get a lot of questions on it is is creatine. Um, do you guys have any strong opinions on uh, on that? Uh, I'll take. I'll start. <laughs> I get asked about creatine almost
2: daily. Oh yeah. Um, from my guys. So. I, there's a lot of great research out there about how creatine can help with, you know, muscle development, growth, mass gain, and all of that stuff, so I think that it is one of the more trusted sources. I'm not against my guys taking it. I just think that there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of stipulation, or not stipulation, but there's a lot of things that you should do before going for creatine. Being a, a college athlete and a younger athlete, that can, it can get really expensive, so, um, again, looking at what they're eating, a lot of my guys who are trying to take creatine are skipping breakfast or skipping lunch, and I always try to remind them that this isn't going to do anything for you unless you're eating adequate, the adequate amount of calories that you're supposed to. It's supposed to help, um, again, supplement what your diet is. It's not going to be, to quote you, a magic pill to help you gain muscle mass or gain weight. Um, there's also things you need to take into consideration. Creatine really holds on to that water weight. So, you know, if you take it during the summer, is that going to be safe for you while you're practicing out in the heat? Um, I know a lot of swimmers use it for the buoyancy part. So it can be really beneficial, um, but you just need to know how it's going to affect your body and how to take it because um, you just, you can, um, but it's not recommended to just take creatine Consistently for months and months and months on end. Um, it should be cycled a little bit more. So, knowing exactly what you're doing and working with someone will help you in that area. But again, it's not going to be a magic pill uh, just to help gain weight. If you're not eating the calories, it's not going to do anything
0: for you. Yeah, so. Yeah,
1: that's really exactly what I was going to say. Um, there is a ton of research on food cans. Um, if somebody, you know, comes to me and wants to gain weight, I'm not going to automatically just put them on creatine, um, you know, make sure that they're eating, eating the right things first, uh, eating frequently, um, getting enough calories. Um, uh, but then, yeah, there's, there's a very specific protocol, um, to be followed when it comes to creatine, um. Uh, so just making sure, you know, that you understand that her to to a dietitian and uh, in order for it to really work. But it is one of like the later things that we'll add after we, you know, focus on nutrition and food first.
0: Okay. Um, true or false. I'm, I need to clear this up for myself. But your body makes creatine, correct? Correct. So. Yes. Yeah. If you're an individual who doesn't um, lift a lot of weights, you know, nothing more than, than four times a week, do you need um, the creatine? Does your body already produce enough creatine for you to be able to use it? Whereas if you're a, a football player that, that lifts four or five days a week and um, you need more than what your body makes, is, do you guys take any of that into consideration when you're prescribing creatine?
1: Yeah, um, I'll only do it when lifting is heavy, so typically okay. out of season, lifting's a little bit more heavy, um, so that might be, you know, that would be the time when I would prescribe it, um, and even, yes, your body does make creatine, but even in like red meats and fish, there's there's creatine in those types of foods, too. So what, so you're getting it, you know, not just is your body making it, but if, you're eat, if you eat meat, um, you're getting it from that source as well. Yeah, I would, depending on the person, obviously taking a look
2: at what they're eating and what's going on in their diet, I would just blanket statement say if you are a recreational lifter, who, you know, isn't in in the gym with a strength coach telling you what to do, yelling at you to do one more rep um, and max out and whatever it may be, creatine would not be my first recommendation. It wouldn't be the first thing that I jump to. Um, It is something that your body produces, like we've talked about, and you do get some from your diet. So to load creatine wouldn't necessarily be doing you any benefit.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I just thought that was something that people might, um, consider if they're, um, thinking about taking creatine is, is how much do you lift? How much do you really need it? Cause your body does produce it. But I like that answer. Neither of you guys were, um, mm-hmm. against creatine as, as some people might be. Um, that's good. The, the next thing I, I have written down is, um, carbs, proteins, and, and fats. Um, A lot of people might count their macros if they're looking Mm -hmm. to measure the amount of calories they're taking in throughout the day, make sure they're in a calorie deficit or a calorie uh, surplus. So I guess we'll start off with what's the difference between uh, a carb, a protein, Mm -hmm. and a fat, and how does your body metabolize these three substrates differently?
1: Yeah, I just never, as a dietitian, working with athletes or anybody, I'd never eliminate any of these macronutrients entirely from someone's diet, um, because each provides essential nutrients, both, you know, for performance and recovery, and just for our bodies to function. Um, So, like, carbohydrates, the body and brain rely on carbohydrates solely for fuel, Also helps prevent muscle breakdown. They also assist in even staying hydrated. Um, So, like endurance athletes are typically going to need a higher carbohydrate diet. Um, And uh, in terms of protein, you know, proteins assist in the body making muscle tissue and recovering muscles after training sessions. Um, And then fats, you know, provide energy and also assist in vitamin absorption so um, for all those reasons i would never you know eliminate any of these entirely from somebody someone's
0: diet yeah that's um it's a good point because there's you know the keto diet where carbs are evil and then um there's other diets where um red meat and, and protein and stuff like that are, are evil where um I, I truly believe that the optimal diet is a good balance between all three um carbs fats and and proteins um
1: yeah and you know how to portion these three macronutrients is really going to be determined kind of like you said just by your individual goals um what are your body composition goals what's what sport are you in um things like that and you know uh Understanding, you know, the portion size of that of each of these is important too. Yeah, and, um, and just playing ahead. I think it's awesome that you know people, if it's something that you know people are willing to do, is you know keep themselves accountable and um, keeping track of of those three macronutrients.
0: And correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like carbs is is the biggest key between the three, as far as what you need to, um, truly consider depending on, on what your goals are. If, cause if, if you're looking to cut weight, I f- feel like one of the, um, you know, best answers to that would be to cut your carbs or limit your carbs. Um, and if you're the opposite, you're looking to gain weight and you need the energy, maybe you're in season. Um, then maybe you eat, um, more carbs, put more carbs on your plate. Do you guys have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely that typically carbs will be the first thing that I adjust um, based on, you know, either weight loss or weight gain. Um, But, again, not eliminating it entirely, but, yes, um, adjusting carbs is going to be the first thing that I look at um, when adjusting, you know, someone's meal plan in terms of their weight goals.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think the first thing that I look at is I will go through in myself like figure out what macros they are and where they are percentage wise as macro intake. Um typically I'll see athletes, you know, be lower in protein um, and higher in carbs just because carbs are a little bit more readily available. I think they're cheaper. Um they're you know they taste better sometimes, you know, pasta, pieces and stuff like that. So I'll typically see a high amount of carbs. I like to tell my athletes that um, changing your body composition, because a lot of times what, who I'm working with, they don't necessarily want to lose poundage. Some of them do, but not a lot of them, is that they want to change their body composition. So they don't necessarily want to decrease in pounds, they just want to decrease in their body fat percentage and increase their muscle mass. Um, so I kind of look at it, and the first thing that we I tell them is, like, well, we need to manipulate the foods that you are putting on your plate. It doesn't mean that we need to cut out foods or anything like that, um, but we need to kind of change the portions of those macronutrients and manipulate your macronutrients um, to cut out, you know, decrease the amount of carbohydrates you're eating and most likely replace it with proteins because that's the pattern I see with by athletes, um, and not necessarily just cut calories. Um, And even doing that, you're going to see a lot of difference in their body composition if they stay
0: consistent. Yeah, I think you make a good point. The adjustments that you make between needing to increase your carbs, decrease your carbs, um, lose weight or gain weight, don't need to be drastic. You don't even need to change the types of foods that you're eating. So this is just the first thing I I thought of, but let's say you've got a plate of chicken and spaghetti. It's pretty simple that if you're going to cut carbs, um, maybe put an extra piece of chicken on there and eat a little bit less spaghetti and vice versa. If you're looking to consume more carbs, um, throw some more spaghetti on there and, um, you know, eat a, you know, just one or two pieces of chicken.
2: Yeah, I think when I'm talking to my guys and sending them away, like, for Christmas break, I usually give them a sheet of just kind of bullet points of information, things to focus on, and the guys who need to either lean out or lose weight. Um, I typically say the focal point of your meal should be protein and, like, fruits or vegetables or whatever meal they're having. So typically, proteins and vegetables. Um, I give the example of stir fry, and I'm like, typically when you see stir fry, the rice is the focal point and the bulk of the meal. But we need to change that for you and make the rice a side portion and have the bulk of the meal be those vegetables and those proteins for you. Um, so it's not; it's just changing, manipulating how the meal looks, um, and not changing up the meal completely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and I always say, like, try to think of it as your day as a whole. You know, trying to lose weight, uh, maybe half of 50% of your intake for the day is, is fruits and vegetables, and one-fourth carbohydrate and one-fourth protein, maybe a little bit more protein. Um, and then opposite, if you are trying to gain weight, let's make half of uh, your intake for the day or half of your plate every time you eat um, the carbohydrates and then the
0: remainder, you know, uh, protein and, uh, protein vegetables. Yeah. I love what you guys had to say about that. Cause when it comes to your macros and carbs, proteins and fats, you know, for the people who count their macros, that's great. And it's very accurate, but it's also very time consuming and not always sustainable. I think it's, it's, it's simple. Um, you. You guys mentioned on your plate, you want your proteins, you want your vegetables, and and you want your carbs. And if you're looking to gain weight, you might add um, some some of the rice, some of the um, noodles, whatever your carb choice is. And if you're looking to lose your weight, then then you might cut um, some of that out, but not not all of it. Um, next on my list, I I have um, timely eating. So stuff like how many meals do you eat in a day? Um, Why do they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Uh, What's the downside to eating late at night? So let's start off with um, how many meals you guys would recommend people eat in a day and what role do snacks play in that? Uh,
2: Yeah, so... If this is a answer that I think is completely dependent on the individual and what their preference is, what works for them, the time that they have, how busy they might be. Um, so I always work on an individual basis uh, around class schedule, practice schedule, all of that stuff. And this could go for someone who's not an athlete, even your work schedule, your workout schedule, uh, and then whatever day-to-day life things that you have going on. Um, typically I mean breakfast, lunch and dinner, having three meals a day, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I also don't think there's anything wrong with eating six meals a day. It just depends on the person. Um, and making sure that if you're having six meals, they're not six large meals. Um, and if you're having three meals, they're not three very tiny meals, making sure that you're staying with um what you need nutritionally speaking, as far as um calories go and your micronutrients, macronutrients and everything. Um, For athletes, I just typically say right off the bat, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack. If it's someone who needs to gain weight or maintain weight, you should be eating every two to three, four hours depending on your schedule and what you can handle. Um, Just keep your metabolism fired up and keep your blood sugar stable so that you're not crashing at all throughout the day. Um, And just make sure that you have consistent energy for your practices, for class, for um, whatever it might be that you're doing. Um, So I do make sure that the athletes are eating every two to three hours. Sometimes that's not realistic i mean two hours every two hours is really a lot so typically i try to tell them that these like every three to four hours and that is usually recommended for just normal people working every day and best to have snacks throughout the day um i know that it's not always conducive and some people don't like to i mean some people don't like to have a snack between lunch and dinner um typically just because they're closer in time depending on who you are so um, it totally depends on the individual uh, and how you want to do it just make sure that you don't overeat and undereat. eat um, as far as breakfast goes I am a big fan of breakfast I know that there's a lot of contradicting statements out there and everything um, the word breakfast literally means to break fast um, to get your metabolism going get your mind working for the day it helps you really get started I hear a lot from a lot of college athletes uh, that they don't like breakfast, it makes them sick and all of that stuff. Um, The thing about eating and losing an appetite is that there's, again, no magic pill to fix it. You have to train your appetite, like you have to train your body. Um, You didn't walk into the gym uh, benching 300 pounds the first time you walked in, so you shouldn't expect to eat a huge breakfast if you typically feel nauseous after eating. So you have to work with your body and work up to eating what you can eat Um, But I'm a big fan. I think that it helps spread the calories throughout the day so you're not overeating in certain meals. Um, It helps you get started, starts your metabolism, and just gives you that energy that you need to really
1: start the day. Um, As far as eating late at night, um, I think I get this question a lot, or at least, yeah.
2: It, It usually makes me laugh. And I actually saw a meme the other day that had a donut and it said before. 6 p.m. 214 or 214 calories, and then after 6 p.m., it was like 4,500 calories, <laughs> which made me laugh out loud because whatever you're eating, no matter what time of day it is, the nutrient profile is not going to change. So, as I mean, if you haven't eaten anything throughout the day and it's past 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever time people are saying to not eat past now, um you should definitely eat something before you go to bed. Um, You have that, you know, full day window to get the nutrients that your body needs and you should definitely get the nutrients that your body needs. Um, With that being said, depending on the individual, I have worked with individuals who it does work better for them to maintain weight by eating a bigger breakfast and a smaller dinner. Um, But timing, you know, if you eat dinner and go sit on the couch, you know, if you eat dinner at 6 p.m. and you just go sit on the couch and then go to bed, how Or you're going to different. study or, Yeah, how is that any different than eating dinner at 9 p.m. and then going to bed because you're still not expending any energy and you're just sitting there. So, um, if it works with your schedule, eat whenever it works with your schedule. Yeah, and I'll just uh,
1: back up that, just with, you know, you mentioned, okay, whatever time it is that people say to stop eating now. I mean, that's a question that I, I get a lot. What time should I stop eating? And thats it's a way more complex than that. So what time are you going to bed? Um, what are you eating throughout the rest of the day? Um, I find that the majority of the time when, when people are getting hungry before they go to bed, well, those are the, the people who are eating breakfast, um, who are waiting, you know, until – new and to have their first meal well yeah you probably are going to be hungry um later in the day if you're starting your meals out later in the day as well um and also I agree you know with the timing of meals like you said Stacy, uh for our athletes we usually stay three to four hours um with eating something whether that's you know a meal or a snack like that going longer than that period of time um and especially if you are a waking athlete that's going to be more like two hours. Um, and if you are, you know, if you are weight gain and you're not eating breakfast and you're not eating till noon, it's going to be really challenging to get in all of the calories that you need in order to gain weight, um, from noon until the time that you go to bed. Um, so that's, you know, another reason why breakfast is so important.
2: Yeah. And to play off that in like weight gain, just so that everybody's clear, um, we're not just talking about, like, weight gain for offensive linemen or, you know, your bigger D linemen or anything like that. You just need to be big in mass. I mean, weight gain is also just essentially putting on muscle. Um, I know that I have talked to a lot of people who aren't necessarily athletes who are – Afraid of eating a lot of food because they're afraid of gaining the wrong weight and everything, um, but they also want to gain muscle mass. And you're not going to gain that muscle mass if you're not eating the calories, um, and if you're skipping breakfast, skipping snack, skipping lunch or whatever it might be, or not eating consistently throughout the day, you're not going to gain that muscle mass. Um, so weight gain means you know gaining muscle mass or gaining the pounds. It's all all encompassing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad yeah, you, that, I was just, I, one was saying, uh, yeah. that,
1: makes, that reminds me just like, you know, people who are weighing themselves on the scale, um, at least at KU we have, we're like fortunate enough to have uh, a DEXA machine, which is just a body composition machine. And so I know, um, uh, and we're only permitted to use that three times a year, um, per athlete. So I know a lot of athletes would say they are trying to lose weight or gain weight and they're just weighing themselves on the scale. Um, especially if they're trying to lose weight, you know they might get discouraged by that number on the scale. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't tell us anything about muscle mass versus fat mass. Um, so, you know, I think that's really important to uh, an important reminder and something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, the The weight gain isn't a, isn't a bad thing always. I mean, with proper resistance training weight gain doesn't have to be fat. Like you said, Stacy, it, it could be muscle mass. So people don't need to be afraid of, of weight gain, especially in an athletic setting. Um, right. yep. um, what I have written down here is caloric intake versus expenditure. And what I wanted to get into is how to manipulate your diet based on what your activity levels are at the time. So if, if you're, um, let's say, in the off-season and, and you're grinding in the weight room and you might have practice in the afternoon, um, what is your caloric intake going to be compared to if you're in season when you're really only practicing once a day, um, you might get a, a day off later in the week and you're not doing as much as you are in the off-season? Uh, yeah, so
1: for, you know, for body mass, be maintained, energy in must equal energy expended, uh, which is the definition of energy decline. Um, And it may seem really simple, but it's actually a very dynamic um, process. And just because there's a number of things that influence this, you know, such as age, genetics, metabolism, environmental factors, um, and just based on, you know, what your goals are too, again. um, But because everyone's expenditure is going to vary based on, metabolism, uh, but also like sport position, periodization, what you know, what time of the season are you in? Um, it's a complex process, but there are equations that you know Stacey and myself use, such as like Mifflin or Cunningham, to kind of determine first what is resting metabolic rate for that individual. Um, and then based on their activity level at this time, um, we add in what's called an activity factor. Um, to kind of uh, determine, okay, this is their resting metabolic rate. Um, now, how much are they actually working out at this time? Um, and there's also, you know, there's a bunch of different equations like that, but uh, indirect calorimetry is also, you know, another really good measure of energy expenditure, uh, which actually measures the rate of oxygen consumption um, and carbon dioxide production, uh, either at rest or during activity um that's a very accurate measurement but it can also be um expensive to get that test done. um but i think that's you know the basis of what we're trying to determine is what's resting metabolic rate and then how much are you yeah to go um to
2: kind of piggyback off of natasha um Figuring out these equations and figuring out the accurate numbers and everything like that, there's no perfect process. Um, even for us, there's no perfect process. The indirect calorimetry is the closest your most accurate that you're probably gonna get. However, it's really hard to get done unless you are a collegiate athlete or you do have access through, you know, medical care provider of whoever you might be seeing. Um, so For just people who are working out and what to do, if you can figure out your resting metabolic rate, and that's something that, you know, there's patients online that you can find um, using like Michelin and Cunningham and whatnot. Um, The big thing, I think, for calorie intake and calorie expenditure, um, I've just had people approach me randomly at workout um, gyms and stuff who know that I'm a dietitian and will ask me and they say that someone told them to eat 900 calories and Uh, You know, they're they're an average-sized person who I can guarantee resting metabolic rate is higher than 900 calories. So if you're able to figure out that that number and equation, I think it's important for people to know that your calorie intake should never go below that um, number or else you're risking metabolic damage or doing any sort of damage to your gut um, or just your body in general. So... Making sure that you're not under, not under fueling is important, um, and you know a lot of non credential um, nutritionists, quote unquote nutritionists out there, will just tell people to um, minus what they burn from, you know, minus a certain amount of what they're burning from, you know, their resting rate, and that's what they're eating, and all of this stuff, which is completely inaccurate. Um, so I just think that it's important for people who don't have a medical, you know, dietitian or a credentialed individual to go to. That if you can somehow find out what your RMR is, that is the magic number to not go below uh, to keep yourself healthy and working properly. Um, and you know, there's a lot of tools out there. I think, I think uh, um, I'll just uh, without naming any because I, I don't want to speak and not be 100% sure. Um, But some of the calorie counting tools out there, what they will do is they will take your RMR and if you typically burn 600 calories a day, they'll add the 600 calories to it and that's what you're allowed to eat for the day, which is also completely inaccurate. So um, just guessing is something that can be kind of dangerous for someone and unhealthy. Um, So if you have access to a dietitian or a credentialed individual, that would be the best way to kind of figure out what your diet should look like throughout the day for whatever your health goals are.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you clarified the resting metabolic rate. Um, that's really, you know, what you're, if you were to like not move at all, um, just breathing and Digesting food like this is that all takes calories um, in order to be your, for your body to really just function. So, you never want to go um, underneath that resting metabolic rate point. Um, but I think it's also important to think you know, for those that are in sports, like off season, you might actually be working out more. Um, I think mm-hmm. it might, you know, some people might think, oh, I'm in season, I need to eat more off season you know, I'm not going to, or I need to cut. Um, But you might actually be burning more calories depending on what sport you're in and um, your training periodization. Uh, You might actually be needing more uh, during that off season. So I think that's important to consider as well. Absolutely.
0: Good. Um, Yeah, the, the resting metabolic rate is interesting in how you guys mentioned you can't just take your resting metabolic rate add on the calories you burn in a workout and think that that's okay. Cause like you said, Natasha, eating, um, takes calories, digesting your food takes calories. Um, so there's more in it than you think and athletes just need to take into consideration how much activity they're doing, um, on a day-to-day basis or on a, on a weekly basis. Um, next I have is, is sugar. Um, only because I think it's important to for people to understand what sugar um, does to your body and and how addicting it it truly is. When we were talking about breakfast, one of the things that I thought of is how the heck cereal became a breakfast food. And don't get me wrong, I'm not evil enough to um, wish anything against cereal. I love it, but. Um, I mean, a couple weeks ago, I had cereal for breakfast, and I felt awful after I ate it because the first thing I did was just crush my insulin levels, and and you guys know more about that, so why don't you um, touch on um, the effects of sugar on your body?
2: So, sugar, um, sugar is, I feel like, a loaded word, the way that we're talking about it right now, Um, because all carbohydrates are a form of uh, sugar, essentially, sugar is the most simple form of carbohydrates. We talk about glucose. You talk about your blood glucose level, and that's what spikes and causes that rush of adrenaline, or that rush of energy. And then when it, you crash, that's your glucose levels um, going really, really low, lower than they're supposed to. So, um, like if you have pasta, essentially, if you eat pasta, which is more of a more of a complex carbohydrate. It's you know, it's not um, candy. So your body is going to break that down from the molecules that it's in into just an individual glucose molecule and then your body's going to use that for energy or do what it will with it but then you know you produce your insulin which helps uptake the sugar and everything and if you have too much then your body's like rushing to make the insulin and that's what kind of causes the bite and then the crash is when you go hypoglycemic, which is means all the sugar's gone, and you actually don't really have your blood sugar is really low, um, which is where you feel you're shaky and you have headaches and you're not able to concentrate as well and everything. So the thing about sugar is um, it can get demonized uh, really, really easily. Using the word addiction, I think is a little bit um, harsh kind of in saying I would say a lot more people have sugar cravings versus addiction you know I was reading up on some research that the sugar addiction actually and there's a lot of contradicting research out there saying that it it, it can be um it can show the same um brain sensors or the same areas your brain will light up um but it's only really overlapping and it's not necessarily exactly the same as if it was like an alcohol addiction or anything like that, which is obviously much more, um, serious case, um, like super, you know, serious. So, um, what we see, you know, a lot more or less is more of a, uh, craving for sugar from people. Uh, when I was reading up on it, it was, you know, the research that they have done on food addictions and sugar addictions is that you will see people who score higher in that food addiction area are either obese individuals or they are individuals who are under-fueling themselves. So they rank, you know, the, uh, they'll score with the addiction, quote-unquote addiction category, but it's only because they're not getting what they need. Um so it's it's a comp that it's a whole complicated process as far as sugar and taking and everything. But essentially, what needs to happen is that you should have a balanced diet. And if you eat a you know moderate amount of your carbohydrates and with some good amount of protein and with those healthy fats and everything, um, nothing's going to empty from your stomach too quickly. Your blood sugar is not going to spike, um, and you're not going to get those ups and downs from eating. Too many carbs or too much sugar. Um, I mean, Halloween's one thing, so go ham, go ham. But uh, but sugar also, you know, it's not something to be afraid of because it can be really beneficial for athletes, especially. Um, We really recommend that right before you work out, that thirty minute window before working out, like you have a simple, um, easily digestible carbohydrate. So you want like, uh, you know, some schools that don't have a lot of money will use something like Smarties because that has just that dextrose in it that's going to give get you, you the rest of the game and yeah yeah get through your workout get through that energy so it's something that they're going to use and you're not going to get those spikes and crashes and everything like that that people talk about so it's actually really beneficial in that area so um I mean there's a whole it's, it's a whole process so there's a lot that goes into it but um you know, I mean, the biggest thing is, is to make sure that you have a balanced diet and you're not only eating pasta and you're not just eating plain bread for your meals and you have a protein to go with it and a healthy fat so everything
1: digests evenly. I, I'm now, glad. I don't
0: have a, a, a time to add
1: to that. I think there's a time and a place. Um, I think, you know, the more sugar you have, I, I think the more that you probably crave. But I also think if you are... Someone
0: who's like I completely one hundred percent eliminated sugar on my diet. You're you're also probably going to crave it more. Yeah, and I should have uh, known better and should have cleared that up when when I said sugar. I I meant more um, s- simple sugars um, and just how readily available sweets and candies and stuff like that are, and how easy it is to to tip the scale. So yeah, abs- absolutely, the um, carbs are. A sugar and there are many forms of sugar. So like you said, uh, Stacey, it's a deep, um, deep hole you can dive down. But the, the, the point was the simple sugars and things that can get you if, if you consume too much as readily available as, as they are. So by no means did I mean uh, quit, eating, quit eating carbs and, and stuff like that.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, talking about candy and everything, no, you don't want to overdo it on sugar. I mean, there's a lot of health health implications that comes with over-consuming simple sugars, you know, quick bars, uh, Milky Ways, my favorite Snickers, or
1: things like that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a
2: big fan of everything in moderation as, as long as, you know, Uh, Like kind of what Natasha said, if you cut something out, you're going to crave it more. I know that personally, that definitely is how I am. If I just stop eating my favorite candy, I will think about it almost every single day. So it's, you know, just add it in when you can and in moderation, don't overdo it. I think the more that you surprise yourself with something, the more that you are going to want it and you're going to crave it and you're going to overdo it, um, which can be more detrimental than just letting yourself have a single serving or half a serving every once in a
0: while. Yeah, that's that's a great point. It leads us to our next topic, uh, everything in, in moderation. Because I personally feel like when it comes to nutrition and, and diets um, and watching what you eat, it's all about um, making one decision at a time and, and building good habits and doing something that's sustainable over time. Too many people, um, you know, they, they set a goal and they, they overreach. So they start a, a fad diet, whatever's cool, whatever's new. And, um, you know, it, it might work okay for two or three weeks. They get sick of it. They throw it away and, and then they go back to, to where they were. So like you said, everything in moderation, it's just, it's sustainable. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about fad diets. Are they good or bad? Which ones do you like? Which ones do you guys dislike? Um, go for it. Sure. Uh,
1: well, okay. So a fad diet is a diet that is popular for a period of time. Um, similar to, I guess, like fashion, if you want to think about it that way. Um, when I hear fad diets, I really think of like keto, low 30 paleo, even like the Vegan and vegetarian is becoming more popular these days. Um, and, yeah, like you said, like a lot of, of these diets are unrealistic or at least very challenging. Um, and that's why we see so much yo-yo dieting um, where, you know, okay, I'll try this one for a couple weeks. Oh, that was really hard. I'm going to go on this one now. Um, and, you know, most people will, if they have, if they're doing it for a weight, lost go, which is what i see most commonly um most people will gain their weight back once they stop this diet and and usually it's more weight than they started out with um and so you'll really never find me recommending um one of these diets to an athlete especially a student athlete you know who is extremely busy with practice workouts classes homework study hall um and more um, so uh you know, the vegan vegetarian. I will say, like, you know, people go on this diet for many different reasons. Um, I will work with athletes who come to me, and, and they're like, I, you know, I'm on the vegan vegetarian, or I have been for a long time. Um, I do believe that you can get what you need on this diet um, if you, you know, you're calculating it out, and you're very, you know, strategic on how you're what you're eating when you're eating. Um, but again, it's not something I'm going to be out recommending, um, to my athletes. Um, and really just in general, my diet recommendation is always going to be just the balanced diet. Um, that really includes every food group, um, to get the nutrients from each food that each food group offers, kind of like we discussed earlier, um, you know, practicing mindful eating, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, uh, which is certainly, You know, it sounds very simple, um, but, you know, it can be challenging to do that.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with what Natasha is saying about fad diets. Um, Typically, when an athlete comes to me, I ask why they want to go on the fad diet and what they think they're going to get out of it or what benefit they think that they're going to get out of it. Um, I also, if I'm asked, um, from someone who's not an athlete about fat diets, you know, I talk about how it is something that has worked for someone. All fat diets have worked for someone. That's why they are a fat diet. Whether there's books about them is it, it's been successful for at least one person, probably several. Um, does this be successful for you? Absolutely not. Um, every person is different. So you do need to find out what works best for you. Um, just, you know, I know Natasha mentioned this earlier, but I, and I think most dietitians can agree. We are not fans of taking out or restricting any one macronutrient. So anything that is as uh, strict as the keto diet, um, I will help someone do it if that is exactly what they want to do and they are dead set on it and everything. And I will help them do it right and safe. Um, but it is not something that I necessarily recommend for someone. Um And mostly because I remember being in my internship, and one of the kids told me he wanted to do a keto diet. And when we were talking about it, just, well, I'm doing a modified keto diet. And I was like, (laughs) what's a modified keto diet? He goes, well, I follow it on the weekdays, but then I do whatever I want on the weekends. And I was like, that's not how this works. (laughs) Um, You know, keto is very strict. Um, You have to do it right or else it's not going to work at all. Um, And a lot of people, athletes, and regular people in general, don't do the research to actually figure out what you have to do in order to make the keto work. Um, And I'm just picking on keto because um, I think it's one of the most popular right now, and it is probably the hardest one to actually adhere to properly. Um, And a lot of people don't realize that if you like mess up one day, like boom, you're out of ketosis and then you've got to take days to get yourself back into it. So it's you can't modify things like that. So um so that's always fun to hear.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I, I love it. Um look, I I think our, our listeners got some great information out of that. Um it's a it's a lot of information, but I think the the gist of what we just said and in the past hour is that um dieting and nutrition and supplementing for sport is is fairly simple. They said a lot that it depends on um on the person and and your schedule and, and your recovery and many other things. But a few of the things that you guys said at the end was um you know everything in moderation. Natasha said something um simple to go by like eat when you're hungry and, and stop when you're full. It's um, you got to do something sustainable and you got to build good habits. And again, there's no secret pill. Um, Anything else you guys have to add to that? Uh, No, I, I agree completely when it
1: comes to supplements, when it comes to the fad diet, you know, you want to, you want to build a healthy lifestyle. And that's what Stacy and I are here to help you know, these student-athletes do is, like, how can we help you build a sustainable, healthy lifestyle? Are you, is it realistic that you're going to do the keto diet the rest of your life, um, just because we were talking about the keto diet? Um, or are you going to take this supplement the rest of your life? You know, it really comes to, and that's why I recommend that, the balanced diet and foods-first approach, um, just because it's more of a realistic lifestyle change. Um and you know the you know it's just important to develop that um, routine, and the longer that you do it, the easier it becomes.
2: Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Is just create something that's going to be sustainable for yourself. If you have any questions, um, I think you should definitely find a dietitian, or you should find a you know credentialed nutrition expert and ask them. Because if you just guess, um, it. It can be more detrimental than help helpful for you, um, and to, to just keep in mind too that a lot of diets and diet changes will will have an impact, and you'll see results right off the bat. But that's going to eventually level out if you're not working with someone who understands calorie restriction and what you're doing um, and how to actually heal your body. So I actually I was having a conversation with one of my athletes the other day, and he was asking about some supplement that he heard about that i don't know has like a hundred um ingredients in it and you know i told him i go listen if you're looking for a magic pill your magic pill is going to be consistency um so it's like find a balanced diet that works for you that's going to be sustainable and stay consistent with it uh things aren't going to happen right away for everybody diet is not something that you're going to necessarily see a change the next day you have to stick with it and stay consistent and eventually you know throughout time, you're going to see your body change, you're going to see your energy improve, you're going to see, you know, for some people, their skin gets better, you know, their hair starts to be more shiny and stuff, so um, just stick with it, and make sure it's something that you, and and enjoy it, too, I think that's one of the biggest things a lot of people think that um, changing your diet to help be more healthy is going to taste bad, but it doesn't have to be, and as long as you enjoy it, you can stay consistent, and it can be sustainable.
0: Spot on. Couldn't have been better said. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on, and I appreciate your time, uh, Natasha and, and, and Stacy. I uh, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for hearing.
1: Thanks so much, Ryan. What's fun.